HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We, sushi, we see sushi at every daily supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guests today are uh, Brandon Tong and Brian Pollan, co-owners of Brooklyn Kura, the first uh, sake brewery in New York, which opened in 2017 at the Industry City in Brooklyn. They joined us on episode 105 and discussed why and how they created the sake brewery in New York, the sake-making philosophy, among many other things. Since then, Brooklyn Cry is growing steadily and very successfully. You may have seen their sake at your favorite Japanese restaurants and your local retailers. So today, we'll talk about the distinctively unique style of sake, new sake production methods there, uh, that they're exploring right now, and fascinating collaboration with the traditional Japanese sake brewery, Nambubijin, and much, much more. 
but before you start, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas topic about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokataima.com. Now let's start a conversation with Brandon Dawn and Brian Bowen. Welcome back. Thanks for Hi. having us. Thanks for having us back. So it's exciting to see how successful you are now. <laughs> yeah, so when you came and joined us, it's like uh, just the beginning of everything started. That's very generous of you. <laughs> We've got a lot of work to do. Right. Um, well, we discussed all about what you're working on today. But uh, first of all, uh, for listeners who have not listened to episode 105, tell us about your background and uh, why you guys decided to open the Sake Brewery. Yeah, so um, my background is in research science. Mm-hmm. I used this to, is uh, Brandon. Yeah. Um, I uh, previously uh, I helped develop drugs for uh, cancer and heart disease. Um, which is, you know, pretty logical and straightforward. So I had hobbies um, to sort of just play around, and one of those was fermenting things, mm-hmm. uh, particularly beer. Um, so that was a way for me to, like, kind of balance the science. And mm. um, I used to work for American Express. I managed a product and technology organization, and before that mm. I was effectively a statistician. <laughs> um, uh, Sake is this extraordinary thing that uh, we've both had exposure to over at different points in our lives and then kind of in meeting in Japan and we discussed this quite a bit last time and seeing the craftsmen that make sake and tasting local sake. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of time and being able to try to do it in our homes and then extend that into a business, mm-hmm. um, which we've been fortunate enough to, to do. Right. Interesting, right? It's like food, imagine, to open a sake <laughs> brewery in New York, considering your background. So, Yeah, I mean, I think that we, we like our backgrounds are very complementary, uh, mm. and it's, it's really helped us. Right, and you met at the friend's wedding, right? So yeah. that's like, you know, the star aligned. <laughs> I mean, it was a... Uh, it was a it was a bizarre wedding too. It was a, a Hindu wedding in what? Tokyo. So <laughs> uh, lots of things um, mm. that were kind of fun about that whole experience. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to reading the book about how it was born and <laughs> everything in uh, maybe yeah. ten years. Um, okay. So the theme of the Brooklyn Cry is uh, American craft sake inspired by traditional uh, tradition bre- um, brewed in Brooklyn. So sorry. Repeat. American craft sake inspired by tradition brewed in Brooklyn. So, um, so based on that, so how many sakes uh, do you produce right now? Well, we have uh, we have a uh, like two that we we produce a lot of our mm. uh, June Mai Blue Door uh, and our June Mai Ginjo Number Fourteen. Mm. Uh, but in our tap room, we also have uh, six taps and maybe sometimes some bottles down below. Um, we really want to try and uh, present people with a spectrum of different kinds of sake. And, and also, you know, we're two years old and we're still learning a lot about sake. So we want to explore different styles and learn different techniques. And the taproom is a great way for us to show that off. Mm. There are some good examples among distilleries, craft beer breweries, wineries, where 
I mean, there are things that are broadly distributed by these companies, but um, the taproom is a place of experimentation. So mm. in designing and thinking through the sake brewery, we wanted to mirror that experience right. for consumers, especially given our product is relatively new to many of them. Mm. Right. So the number 14 and Blue Door, uh, I, which I tasted many times and I love it, <laughs> uh, both, both of them, but they are more fairly traditional style, yeah. right? And then at the top, top room, uh, last time I went was in July. And before that, there was an interesting uh, uh, sake called Occidental. Mm. And that turned to be pink. Yes. And it was yeah, <laughs> we, we do. We, um, we are on the more traditional side. Um, we we want to make sure that we're introducing sake to people, um, you know, like as it is in Japan. Um, but that said, we also do experiment and, and do things a little outside of tradition. Mm. So Occidental is one of those. It's a June Mai that we really lightly dry hop. Um, and mm. it's interesting because um, the sake will take on some of the, the green of the hops. But over time, it, that changes to sort of a, like a light pink and then eventually um, a deep red. Mm. Um, and so that's been like a favorite of people's. Right. Yeah, when we... Um I mean, when we decided to do this, especially in a place like Brooklyn in proximity to some of the best restaurants and kind of the greatest density of great food and drink um, in in the country, let alone the world, we, we knew we needed to be producing something that would be respected by people who had experience consuming some of the best sakes produced in Japan. And so produ- proving that we can make something traditional or classical gives us some latitude to mm-hmm. kind of get creative and 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 not weird but things that we think enhance the experience of drinking sake and I mm-hmm. still have a core of like a traditional dish delicious sake mm-hmm. as a base right I think uh, I always respect Brandon's scientific background because it's it's not kind of it's a it could be a um, playful experiment but it's, it's a solid base that you're not gonna of go off the cliff. That's my <laughs> feeling about you, correct? Nothing has come out of that brewery that like we really haven't been proud of. It's been pretty remarkable to see him make things mm. at the scale that we are, um, and at the quality that we produce with the 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 limited experience that we practically have making sake. Mm. Well, um, I'm gonna discuss the. I want to discuss more creative versions in a minute, but. One of the items that you serve at Top Room is vintage, uh, which is old school Junmai Ginjo. So what do you mean by old school? Um, I mean, that's just the description comes from um, the yeast that we use in that. that uh, um, we have that in the Tap Room once in a while, and it's, a, it's one of the yeasts we have that is one of the oldest sake yeasts that we could possibly get. Mm. Um, so we're just, it's just a play on the name and referring to, to um, a, a very old strain of yeast. Mm. But, you know, there's been... Like for so many decades now, there's been a movement to more modern yeast uh, for like Ginjo and Danginjo to have these certain tastes uh, in the sake um, and move away from um, things that were more acidic in the past. But now there seems to be a little bit of a trend of, of, of some higher acidity sakes, mm. some sakes that can go a little better with uh, bigger meals. Um, so I think that that sake, you know, fits that bill. Right. So I think um, yeast is very becoming more creative increasingly even in Japan like you know flour food everything mm. and so the traditional yeast how many traditional yeast are there uh, I, it's, I don't know if anybody's added that up there each prefecture um, tends to have their own yeast um, mm. and then like the you know sometimes 
Uh, there's there's breweries in Japan where they only use the ambient yeast that's within the brewery. Um, so that there might be countless different yeasts available. Mm, the, like, the sake industry in Japan depends very much on this like uh, central organization, which um, does take responsibility for maintaining quality control over like yeasts that are broadly used mm. in sake production. Um, but there are also other companies that cultivate yeast that are designed to produce delicate, delicious sake mm. that we can work with as well. Right. Is it um, because of, you know, in the whole worldwide, there's like craft breweries, craft everything. So do you think companies uh, who su supply yeast tend to be more creative and the more variations available? I, what I'd say is, I mean, I think you it's like one of the critical inputs in the process. So, mm. like, if if you don't have a high-quality thing that is responsible for creating the esters, aromas, texture, and eventual alcohol of right. your beverage, then it's really going to be difficult to produce something of quality. So these are kind of companies and organizations that spend a lot of care and attention mm. to make sure that they're supplying the best quality product and right. their product in many respects is yeast. Right, so sake basically is made out of um, water, rice, yeast, and koji, and uh, human, like <laughs> Brendan. So like the professional skills. So yeah, it's very important to have the white yeast <laughs> and the combination of yeast and koji. Yeah, right. um, yeah the speaking of koji, koji is now keyword for many people and chefs to regular consumers. Um, so and thanks to you, I got to know uh, Koichi Higuchi. Oh, great. Of, uh, he's, he's, a, <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah, Koji Spore supplier. Mm -hmm. And uh, he joined us in the conversation in the studio too. But um, so what's your choice for Koji? Like, are there many variations of Koji, like there, yeast? Yeah, there might be more variations of Koji than there are yeast. Mm. Um, Koji kin, or the spores that we use, because we grow our own koji. Mm. Uh, but the koji kin um, is one of the, is the only ingredient that we exclusively get from Japan. Um, mm. And that's because nobody else makes it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we do, um, uh, like Higuchi's uh, koji, we, we, we use a few others. Um, and that's something that's, uh, you know, on my learning curve to learn more about. Um, but it is, it is really important to grow koji well. So it's not something um, I've been experimenting with too much. Um, that said, we have one other koji we've been growing um, that is also used in awamori. Mm. Um, and it produces a lot of citric acid. Um, and when you, when you use, that so use that koji to make a sake, you get um, a, like a really tart... A different kind of sourness than lactic acid. You get like more citrus mm. sour. Oh, so that's the black koji yes. out of white, yellow, black. The black is yes, only black. used for making a mori. Yeah. Right. And is that what it is that, uh, you know, the, your top room, citric? C citrix. Yeah. That's the second name. Made it with yeah, yeah. We're, we're calling it koji, koji sour. sour yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's this. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a sake where about half of all the kochi that goes into it is this black kochi, mm. and it has like a like a really bright, um, refreshing kind of acidity to it. Wow. So maybe that's uh, I think that's the one I tried when I last time I visited. It's like almost like wine, like yeah. clean white wine, 
but distinctively, distinctively, you you sense the sake note mm. as well. So it was, I was fascinated. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, this, what's the formula though? First, you determine yeast or yeah. koji, or how, how does it work? Just putting a batch together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first thing we do is we go we grow koji, and that takes about two days. Um, and that is about um, 20% of all the rice that goes into a batch. Mm. And the point of koji is, is to provide the enzymes that will convert the starch of the rice into sugar that the yeast will then eat. So that's one of the most fascinating things about sake is that you need two organisms to produce it. It's different than wine where all the sugar is already in the grape and beer where you just mash the grains to get your sugar. Um, and then the other fascinating thing is once we put a batch together, we're sort of making that sugar and the yeast is consuming it at the same time. Mm. So there's two variables that you have to kind of like encourage or discourage <laughs> uh, so that, you know, your batch will come out nice. Um, and then, you know, we, we put um, all those four ingredients together um, and uh, the sake ferments very cold for about a month. Um, and then it gets pressed to, to separate the leftover rice or the kasu mm. from the cleared sake. Um, and uh, we, we mostly serve a style called nama-nama, which is unpasteurized sake. Mm. So, f- so after the sake uh, settles a little bit, um, we just bottle it. Mm. So that's a huge advantage of having American brewery here because nama is very limited from Japan because it has to be pasteurized to su- um, survive the transportation. So that's, um, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so... In terms of, you know, for your tap selections, you do you try to use new yeast because you constantly like to find new flavor, like your craft sake made in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it's it's a lot of work to, to make sort of our mainstays. Uh, that takes a lot of our time. Um, so when we do have time to make something new, uh, you know, it's it's... Um, we have an idea that comes from maybe talking from some tochis in Japan or, or sometimes uh, talking to beer or winemakers here um, and just come up with an idea of, of something to make and, and see if it comes out well. Mm, right. So um, I heard you are exploring new products um, with different kind of yeast koji and also um, kimoto. Kimoto is a you can explain yeah. what kimoto is, but that's kind of you only mainly create junmai ginjo, mm-hmm. and then one junmai. Mm-hmm. That's the blue door, and then kimoto. That's yeah. a challenge. Yeah. So kimoto is an old style of brewing. Um, um, almost all sake is sokucho, which means at the very beginning of the batch, you add a small amount of lactic acid to lower the pH and sort of make a safe space for the yeast. Mm. And that allows the yeast to grow up without competition um, uh, and to be a strong fermenter of the whole batch. So a long time ago, before people knew about um, yeast or microorganisms, um, people would just uh, combine koji rice and water together um, and let it and, and you know stir it and let it sit for about a month. And then <laughs> the natural lactic acid bacteria in the air would would lower the pH, and then it would become sort of a safe place for yeast. Mm. Um, so about a year ago, we uh, made our first Kimoto, um, and uh, it's been in cold storage for a year, and, and, and pretty soon we'll release it. Mm. So what do you think is the benefit of uh, Kimoto? 
Um, I mean, it, it's it's fascinating to to try these other techniques. Um, I think it lends a little more of a heavier taste, uh, like a little bit of a more funky taste mm. to it. Because more natural. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's a it, it's good to sort of add to the spectrum of sakes that we mm. we offer. Wow. I can't. Well, let me know. <laughs> I would just definitely come Holy and try so. it. And uh, so also heard that you're producing sparkling sakes made by combination of wine and sake making methods. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, we're, we're, it's still in experimental stages, but we are um, um, sort of a, you want to you talk about it, Brian? I mean, uh, we, it gets back, like, why do we make kimotos? Why do we have the koji sour? It's like, there's such a range of different ways to experience sake. And I mean, people that like to drink like things across the spectrum. And sparkling sake um, can be made in a bunch of different ways. And one of the things we like to flex every once in a while is to, to attempt different techniques. So um, we all enjoy bubbly things, and bubbly sake is one of them, especially the stuff that's made by the AWA organization um, or, or uh, members of the AWA organization in Japan. And so we're kind of doing our first riff Mm. on sparkling sake, um, which is a combination of champagne methods, traditional methods. Mm. Um, it's kind of uh, using the, like, kind of fully accepting the constraints we have in our production process mm. um, and trying to kind of use bottle fermentation or bottle conditioning mm. as a mechanism to get mm. the so, consistency. Right, so you make the base sake and then bottle it and that sugar or the, what's the thing? Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, it's a champagne method is that for yeah. listeners, it's like yeah. uh, it's, fermented it's a, twice. It's a little more on the pet mat side. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so uh, I, it's a, there's a chance that this might not work out, so we might be talking about it <laughs> too it's soon. It's going to work out. I love that. <laughs> right. It's definitely going to work out. But oh, yeah. what we did is we stopped a batch of sake um, before it was finished, when it was still had sugar and it was still sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, then we introduced some champagne yeast. Mm. Um, and huh. then we've been monitoring it, and, um, and honestly, t- I think tomorrow we'll bottle it. Mm. So we're trying to capture uh, the, uh, the beverage right at the right amount of sugar so mm. that it will end up producing the right amount of carbonation. Right. In, in instances like this, we debate how much bubbles should be there <laughs> when we open it, like mm. the celebratory champagne experience or like your 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 everyday pet net. Mm. Um, I think... The experience, the celebratory experience of a sparkling wine, mm-hmm. um, but in the context of sake, is something we both enjoy like, mm-hmm. um, and and expect people to enjoy. Um, the fact that it's bottle conditioned, the fact that it's a combination of like champagne method, traditional method, um, uh, sparkling wine making, mm-hmm. um, is something that. I'm excited to have a conversation about with the people who carry our sake or or potentially would want to mm. um, as an easy thing for them to introduce to their customers and right. say, here's a sake that kind of feels like and is presented similarly to the pet nets that you're falling in love with. And it's made um, with the care and attention and mm. a, a very kind of relevant but traditional method. Right. Um, so it's super exciting. Mm. So the difference between um, the East used use for sake and for the champagne, what's the difference? <laughs> Sorry, I just so, get into the so, so, I mean, if you look at sort of like the, the family tree of, of yeast that are used to, to f- ferment things in general, um, uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae um, it has sort of three main branches. Um, it's got beer, wine, and sake, and and these they're they're, they're the same species, um, but they have sort of been um, 
sort of like a selective evolution um, uh, be, because of the places where people were using them. So if you think about it in Japan, Japan uh, sake brewing in Japan is a winter affair largely, and it was you know when fishermen and farmers had time off, they would in the winter they'd make sake. So you need a yeast um, that can ferment at very cold temperatures mm. um, and then can get the the alcohol levels they wanted. So over hundreds, if not thousands of years in Japan, people were selecting the the yeast that worked for them, and mm. that's how that branch. Um, you know, difference, differentiates between uh, wine and beer. Mm. So that means, and wine's made in a warmer temperature, yes. the summertime, yep. fall. So that makes sense. <laughs> so isn't it really risky to use that summer yeast during the winter time, or whatever we got, we got this when you eat? Yeah, I mean, there's also champagne yeast. They will cellar champagne yeast, and so it can see cold temperatures, and mm. champagne yeast does work at a, a, a surprisingly cold temperature. Mm. So there's like a little bit of crossover between how these two yeasts, right. you know, kind of evolved. So. Mm. Actually, champagne is pretty nice, so that we yeah. use, right? Yeah. So, hmm, that's interesting. I've never heard of it, the combining different families of yeast. Is yeah, it? I, don't, I don't think it's unique to what we're doing. I think you're starting to see Japanese breweries, even though the share of, like, the market for sparkling mm. like sake is very, very small. Right. Um, you're starting to see these breweries experiment with um, champagne-like processes mm-hmm. across the board, and that's really what the Awa mm. uh, kind of consortium is is supporting rules around that style of right. sparkling sake. And mm-hmm. then you see places like ours um, where not only do you have to get to play with different types of yeast, but you can also play with different uh, koji compositions to give a little bit more bite and acidity to stand up to mm. the kind of the the sparkles, the the the, uh, the dissolved CO2 as well. Mm. Fascinating. So, yeah, it goes... What are you guys doing? Very inspiring to Japanese breweries, too. So, yeah, it's expanding totally the scope of sake making. We, we talk about this all the time. We're in New York, and we benefit because of that. Mm. Um, pretty much anyone who sells sake to the U.S., 90% sell their sake to, the, to New York City. Mm. Um, and then among those breweries or our brewery employees, when they visit the U.S. market, they tend to come to New York City. Mm. And as a result... Um, because we're familiar and a brewery here, they come to visit us. So, mm. so they get to inspire us on a regular basis. Right. And, and we're very lucky. Hmm. So speaking of that global exchange, so I heard about the interesting collaboration with the Nambu Vision. So let's talk about it. <laughs> so how did it happen in the first place? Um, how did we first meet Nambu Vision? Um, so we're, I mean, Nambu Bijin has a very strong relationship with our friends, Chizuko Helton and mm-hmm. Sake Discoveries. Yes. Oh, and by the way, Nambu Bijin is in Iwate Prefecture exactly. and one of the most, like, biggest award-winning, amazing yeah. sake brewery. Yeah. So, and I think I think it was through introdu- introductions from Chizuko um, and, and Jessica Jolly, uh, with Nabu Bijin mm. early in our process of kind of starting the brewery that has resulted in not only a fast friendship and kind of like, let's say, practical support to our process and our brewery's development, but also um, the potential for a collaboration like mm. this. Right. So then I heard that Brandon went to visit the brewery. <laughs> and what happened? <laughs> he had a great experience there. <laughs> I, I showed up uh, very excited to um, um, work with them and promptly got food poisoning and was mm. out of convention. But uh, 
I mean, I'm totally indebted to Naba Beach and Forever because um, they took care of me. Um, they coordinated everything and, mm. and got me back home. Um, yeah, you I, got it really seriously. Yes, know, I, I did. Heard. <laughs> yes, in the hospital. Yeah, and yes, I had uh, like a, a fascinating and an awesome experience with uh, socialized medicine in, <laughs> <laughs> wow. in Japan. So that means you, you couldn't work with them at the brewery. No, so we took a rain check. <laughs> <laughs> and the rain check was, uh, um, so Navi Region has two tochis. Mm. Um, and they came out at uh, the beginning of the summer, and we put together our first daiginjo. Mm. Um, you know, we held off on making a daiginjo, I think, because we, we just wanted to make sure that we could make a junmai, could make a junmai ginjo. Um, so this is a great opportunity with um, with them. Um, uh, Matsumori-san and Tamakawa-san, um, like arguably two of the best tojis in the world. Mm. Um, so it was, it was fairly intimidating uh, <laughs> for them to come out to our small two-year-old brewery. Mm. Um, it was pretty humbling. Um, mm. well, that's amazing. They came to visit. I, I mean, they came, they shoveled rice, they, they picked up steamed rice, put it on the koji table, they kind of articulated how they, like, propagate tane on koji mm. like they, they were awesome they talked about fermentation profile and temperature yeast selection and they're just like but it's not dissimilar to the craft brewing culture in the mm. u.s it's like a bunch of really talented craftspeople coming together and just talking about things that mm. they do to make their their stuff tasty <laughs> it's like that simple in many respects mm. so um in you know people might imagine japanese tradition taught to new innovative American that's like that's the picture but it sounds like it's more collaborative like it both ways in a way uh, I don't know about both ways I mean, <laughs> in this instance like it's more what I think what we can inspire is that we're blank slate mm. we want to make things we like and that people will enjoy um with respect mm. um, so that flexibility we're not a 10th generation brewery with expectations in a market mm. and like a style that's known it's like we're we're like, oh, this is good. Let's try and do it. And so I think that's inspirational the other direction. But practically speaking, I mean, these are expert craftsmen mm. that produce a range of different qualities on a scale we can barely conceive of mm. um, coming and sitting in our 1,250 square feet or whatever, 1,750 square feet mm. and like like working with us. Um, it's like is, a mentorship almost. Yeah, yeah in that sense. Been, yeah. Right. Um, and uh, the present uh, Kosuke Kuji, he's an amazing yeah. person. He's such a giver, always. Yeah. Yeah. And so that makes sense that they come. Yeah, Kuji-san Kuji uh, is, is like a global cheerleader of sake. Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and he also has the right philosophy, um, you know, to, to invite us to Iwate and, and teach us what they can to come out and collaborate. Mm. What he's doing is is getting more people excited about sake. Mm. Um, like, I, you know, our success benefits them because more people get into sake. And they'll, if, if somebody comes in and has sake, our sake in New York for the first time, they might want to go explore sake, you know, mm. which is a, a deep rabbit hole. And, and I think that, you know, like, I think that's one of the reasons we've had such a positive response from breweries in Japan. Mm. Right. So the bigger the pie, the exactly. more exactly. fun mm. and... And the pie needs to grow. Right. It is shrinking in Japan mm. pretty quickly. That's a great point. Yeah, so uh, so the, did you make the daiginjo, you said? So is it, does it, 
Is it done or? It's it's, it's done and it's sold out. Oh, <laughs> it turned, yeah. It turned out really well. Um, we were very happy with it. Really? Um, we've called it uh, Brooklyn Beijing. So mm. so Nabu Beijing, it means Southern Beauty. It refers to their rice. Mm. So. Work our collaboration as Brooklyn Beauty. Right. Hopefully, it's going to come out again. You're going to make it again. Yes. <laughs> it's a. It you know it. It exceeded all of our expectations. Wow. It was really, like, delicious. Mm. Um, and so yeah, we'll definitely make it again. Right. Because it's uh, the first Daiginjo, so. Yes. Right. Okay. And uh, so, what do you think about collaboration? You know the global collaboration. Do you think it's going to be more happening? It 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 has to. I mean, I don't know. I don't think we're going to move backward from mm. from our experience. Um, more and more people are starting to make sake. Those people are increasingly interested in involving Japanese breweries and producers and craftsmen um, in their in their efforts. And so. I mean, books are starting to be translated more regularly, like educational programs supporting both industry, mm-hmm. like people up and down the kind of the, the vertical industry are, are, are becoming more available. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we should be collaborating more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just about finding the time to do that. Right. So speaking of American breweries, um, so there are other Sake brewers in the U.S., even they started before you guys started. And do you know how many right now? There is about 15 last count, I think. Okay. Wow. So what are they very different in terms of style? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a big spectrum, um, uh, particularly in the United States right now. Um, and they range from people on the very traditional end um, uh, to more um, experimental. Um, and so I think it's a... I think it's a good spectrum uh, early on to see. I mean, I mean, you know, sometimes America will take something from another culture and destroy it. Um, sometimes you get uh, things out of it, like a California Merlot or an American IPA, which you can find all over the world now. So uh, there, there has to be a period of sort of mixing it up for a little while mm. and, and shake out and see what, what stays. So it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. I mean, I think a lot of these breweries, even if they're producing different things with different resources and goals, they're talking about sake in a pretty common language, mm. right? So they're educating people who are buying their things or visiting their spaces, um, people about, oh, this is a Junmai style, and maybe we fruit it or we don't, or maybe maybe we ferment it warmer than... It, it, that's almost secondary. Mm. Um, even these alternative spaces are points of education for all consumers about like traditional Japanese sake. Right. Yeah, and uh, as I we talked earlier, koji is now becoming like keyword. So I heard about beer breweries using, you know, sake elements, including koji. And it's just really just exciting how many different flavors we can enjoy yeah. maybe in the next three, five years. Yeah, I think um, you know, beer breweries it's it's getting pretty competitive um and and i think they're all looking for like the next ipa or what's going to be the next thing and you know we encourage them to look at sake because there's there's a whole bunch of different things that Mm. they could you know um involve with beer baking right so let's see what's going to happen and uh yeah i'll book it in three years and tell me what you think (laughs) sure um, so let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about Brooklyn Kura's sustainable partnerships with restaurants. So please stay with us. 
Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the Welsh natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese broadcasting from live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Kodema, and my guests today, guest today are Brandon Dawn and Brian Pollan, co-owners of Brooklyn Kura, the very first sake brewery in New York, which opened in 2017. So uh, where do you sell your sake right now? Are uh, you selling beyond New York? Slow and steady. Mm. Um, well, you can find us in a few surprising places but our the primary place that we're starting to sell more in is is in california mm. so we are in uh new jersey pennsylvania and new york um california is some a place that we're investing more time and energy in um and maybe soon you'll find us in uh germany and sweden we're, That'd be awesome. we're, we're, we're hopeful but I, i mean our sake has made it to japan um it was in some great restaurants in hong kong for a little while um Uh, and yeah, we're just slowly kind of uh, finding our footing in some of these new markets. Mm. So where, why, where does that demand come from, you think? I mean, like, interesting and It's, okay. So I think the demand comes from people have an interest in things that are Japanese um, in general. Um, and they're also, to Brandon's earlier point, interested in kind of new, exciting things that they can bring into their lives and like, upon interest like learn more and more about mm. um and so sake fits that bill and so when we go to a market like los angeles um there are people who are passionate about sake or natural wine um or or craft beer that are like oh i'm going to talk to this person mm. who represents uh, a local producer of a thing that i'm interested in and then it's like they drink it and they taste it and they introduce it to their customers um and once they can do that Um, I mean, it, it just like kind of creates a real like lasting relationship. Mm. Um, so one of it, w one major part of it is being present in a market and talking to people about what we're doing and why. Mm. Um, another major part of it is like sharing with him, like sharing with them the quality of what we're able to produce, mm. its consistency um, and and kind of making a commitment to to honor that quality and consistency throughout mm. the course of our relationship. Right. So the sake market in the States is kind of known, very competitive, but it's not because you are, I mean, of course you are local, people like local stuff, especially exactly. those days. But um, yeah, the, of course the quality and you said the presence, you have to communicate. Yeah, I mean, there are 
a large number of sake breweries that send sake to the U.S., all of which, I mean, there's a range in styles and flavors, all of which are wonderful. Um, we do have a distinct advantage of being local and also being recognizable. Um, and so it's it's an easier thing in many respects to communicate to people who are new to sake mm. than some of the traditional la- labels that have been out in right. the market. Oh, speaking of the label, I think you guys' labels are very cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's like a very modern... And, uh, yeah, you wonder, what is this? So, yeah, I think it's very cool. That's awesome. Um, so, are you thinking of selling new sake in Japan? So, yes. I mean, we're just trying to scale our production and service the U.S. Um, there is a lot of romance, and it would feel good to be in Japan, but I think we will get there once it it would be an affordable thing for people to purchase in Japan. Mm. Um, right now, if we were to send it on smaller scale, it'd just be this very luxury thing that right. like, um, we really, we have some partnerships in the future. Um, Brooklyn Brewery is opening up a tap room in Tokyo, mm. Mm. Um, and we expect our sake to be a part of that, wow. uh, that experience, and then slowly we'll bleed out into a broader Mm, that's a very Brooklyn collaboration. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Yeah, they're they're great. Do you know when they're gonna open? I I do not know what they've communicated, so no. Mm. Uh, okay. It's a media savvy answer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, um, how do you keep up with the increased distribution? I mean, originally we were driving cases of sake around New York City. Um, and that was limiting for a bunch of different reasons. Now we have great partners. So we work with a really well-respected family-owned uh, uh, wine, fine wine distributor mm-hmm. that has a large sake portfolio, um, Polaner, and mm-hmm. they have representation in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And so being on their team has been really rewarding for us and that helps us kind of grow a little faster. Mm. Um, and then nationally we work with Vine Connections, which, Mm. um, is, has a very deep experience in sake and sake Mm. sales nationally, um, and has some pretty awesome brands. And so, Mm. um, and then Monica Samuel, the ambassador, she came, spoke about what she does. It's amazing. I mean, she is like, a force to be reckoned with. She's so knowledgeable right. and has so much energy focused on kind of in increasing the size of the sake market in the U.S. So, so it's, I mean, that's helpful too. And then, like I said, we have to be physically present. Mm. I mean, we're not, we're not just a bottle. I mean, we, we are trying to build relationships with people, get feedback from them continuously, and then like be, be a, a sake that they can have confidence is going to be mm. like as good as we can make it. Right. Yeah, you guys have a really good story to tell. So I think being a present is the hardest, probably. Once you're there, you can talk. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and also, you, heard, you have a, you know, a lot of sake kasu, which is a sake li, and uh, of course, koji with other you know, excess koji. So I heard you, you have some partnerships with the restaurants. And yeah, I mean, we, we would like to use 100% of our. I mean, there should be no waste in in that process. Um, And so we work with places ranging from Blue Hill to Ivan Ramen, Mm. from Oxalis to Red Paper Clip. I mean, um, and many of them do to um, a chocolatier in Greenpoint. I mean, Mm. many of them use our kasu for a range of different things, from pickling to making sauces to making breads and pizza doughs. Mm. Um, And it's like all stuff that had we, if we had the time, would be fun to experiment with, but... We really don't. Right. Uh, yeah. One thing magical about 
Koji is a sweet, like a natural mm. sweet. And after tasting Sokoji sweetness, sugar tastes like a fake, <laughs> in my opinion. So I think there's a lot of way to use it. You're a little biased. Yeah, I am, totally. Okay, so uh, what's your plan for this busy holiday season coming up? I mean, I think we're, we're going to be open and doing what we do, which is trying to make great sake and educate people. It's, it's not... I mean, hopefully we'll sell a bunch more sake over the holiday season, mm-hmm. but that's really, I mean, we're going to be present, making sake, serving it there for our customers. Mm. You, um, I, I'm probably going to be in California. Brandon's planning a trip to Japan soon. Um, it's like no change mm. other than just continuing to be focused on what we do. Right. That'd be cool for New Year's Eve. Sake is going to be as yeah. regular drink. Yeah. Sparkling drink. sake soon. Right. Uh, what I, I actually I should add, we we do have like this uh, a few events. We're working with this group called Union Sushi Co. That um, works with exclusively sustainable fish and mm. fisheries, and they're doing an omakase at Brooklyn Cora. Right. We're doing an event with the 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 uh, master blender from New Belgium presenting our sakes right next to their like extraordinary sour beers um uh, with these really talented chefs um uh on december 5th i mean we have a monthly educational um session that we do which is all about learning the basics of sake in the context of the brewery Mm. i mean so we are trying to stay busy too Mm. so why are you going to japan brandon um i like to try and go every winter and uh, just visit different breweries um, and just see and learn as much as I can. Mm, hey, so um, are you going to work at some of those places? Yeah, I'm sure they'll put me to work. Hey, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is cool. Hey, so I think the psychic community is pretty close and uh, very uh, cohesive. Huh. So I think it's a good thing that you go there and then you bridge um, Japanese and American breweries. So yeah. good luck. Thank you. Um, all right. And uh, so where can we find all the information about with Brooklyn Kura? I mean, you can go onto our website. You can follow us on uh, on Instagram and Facebook, sometimes Twitter. Okay. <laughs> um, but mostly Instagram. Um, you can email us anytime at info at brooklyncura.com. You can call us. I mean, we're we're here. You to, can come to the tap room. Yeah, mm. that's, that's even better. Yeah. So answer. when is the tap room open? So we're open uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening times. Mm. Um, we're probably going to extend those hours soon. And then, like I mentioned, we have private events, holiday parties, corporate events happening throughout mm. um, throughout the week. Right. So the it's in Industry City. It is Brooklyn. And uh, so, what time do you start serving at the top room? So on Fridays we start serving at about four thirty. Mm. Um, on Saturdays at one o'clock. On Sundays at one o'clock. Mm. Um, yeah, last time I was there, so busy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, our area is growing. A lot more places are opening up. You can mm. get uh, hometown barbecue across the courtyard from us. Right. Yeah. yeah so industry City is full of interesting. Delicious uh, food shops. So, yeah. In addition yeah. to food shops, there are a lot of craftspeople there that are making some extraordinary products, mm. both on the food and and beverage side, but also just like like weavers and photographers. It's a pretty neat community of people. Mm. Right. So, well, good luck, and uh, looking forward to having you back again uh-huh. to give us uh, your update. All right. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you for coming. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or show, get, uh, um, 
suggestions for our guests and topics of the show, please contact us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Matt Patterson. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.